0: This is WexCast from the Wexner Center for the Arts at The Ohio State University. For this episode, we share a truly special conversation between Wex director Johanna Burton and the artists of our fall 2019 exhibition, Here, Anne Hamilton, Jenny Holzer, and Maya Lynn. The three Ohio-born makers discuss the works on view in the show, how their connections to the state have informed their respective practices, and the one other place on earth where you might have seen their work together. Enjoy.
1: Hello, I'm Michael Goodson. I'm the Senior Curator of Exhibitions here at the Wexner Center. Uh, welcome and thank you all for coming out tonight uh, for this conversation and this exhibition preview that opens the Wexner Center's 30th anniversary season with here Ann Hamilton, Jenny Holzer, Maya Lynn. Exhibitions at the Wexner Center are a deeply collaborative effort involving a large number of people in and around the center, and I'd like to thank some of them if I could. I'd like to first and foremost thank Anne Hamilton, Jenny Holzer, and Maya Lin for their dedication to this exhibition and for their incredible work uh, and the work they have contributed to the galleries and our spaces beyond these walls. I'd also like to thank all the people in their studios uh, who have worked with us this past year Kara uh, Goot, Nick Larson, uh, Jessica Naples-Grilly, and Hannah Parrott at Ann Hamilton's studio, Ian Costello from Jenny Holzer studio, James Ewert from Maya Lynn's studio, as well as Emily Egan, Megan Shevernock, and Jeremy Boyle, who have worked with Anne Hamilton from outside of her studio. Thank you, Sherry Gelden. For being, uh, for being the first person, really, to see the potential for this exhibition, uh, and for your 25 years of dedicated service in shaping the Wexner Center for the Arts to this point. Thank you, Johanna Burton, for your clarifying perspective and for seeing the potential in this exhibition through to this evening. Uh, thank you to Assistant Curator Lucy Zimmerman and Curatorial Assistant Kristen Helmick-Brunet, uh, with whom I curated this exhibition, for their incredible offsite support supportive works. I'd like to give a hearty thank you to Orange Barrel Media and also to the Crane Group for their major support. Uh, thank you very much, Pam and Jack Beeler, Mike and Paige Crane, David and Nancy Gill, and Jack and Charlotte Kessler for your support as well. I'd also like to thank the following donors who generously support the Wexner Center for the Arts each year, consistently. Uh, The Greater Columbus Arts Council, Ohio Arts Council, the Columbus Foundation, Nationwide Foundation, and Cardinal Health Foundation in Huntington for their support of arts access. Really, we could not do this without the support of all these people, so please a round of applause for our supporters. Here at the Wexner Center, I'd like to thank uh, all the people that really made this happen. Uh, Chief Operating Officer, Megan Cavanaugh, Curator-at-Large, Bill Horrigan, Registrars, Kim Coleman and Mary von Wassenhof, our exhibition design and installation team of Dave Dickus, Nick Stull, and James Maracle. Thank you also to the marketing and communications design education, patron services, tech services, and development teams at the Wexner Center. These people make these shows happen. Uh, Thanks also to Alana Ryder who organized this conversation tonight. I'd also like to give a special thanks to all the volunteers uh, who helped us in the folding portion of Ann Hamilton's project. Students, Wexner Wexner staff, OSU professors and their classes, uh, the Wexner Center Student Engagement Group, my love, um, uh, the Wexner docents, and even Anne Hamilton's mother, Beth, uh, and her friends. Um, one look at the exhibition, and you'll have a sense of the scope of that endeavor, and we, we thank you. The idea for this exhibition uh, began a little over a year ago when I experienced Jenny Holzer's set of benches from 2017 called Such Words, uh, a selection of which are actually in the galleries as part of this exhibition. Uh, this work gave me pause um, and has happened periodically it directed me back to the gravity of Jenny Holzer's work um, in looking up more information about this work I realized something that I hadn 't before which was that Jenny Holzer is from Ohio um, uh, this is something that I knew about Anne Hamilton and I knew about Maya Lynn that they were from Ohio uh, so with The 150th anniversary of the Ohio State University and the 30th anniversary of the Wexner Center coinciding and coming up, I thought, uh, my thoughts um, went to the indelible contribution of these three artists. And those thoughts were coupled with this place, Ohio. Um, These ideas then joined thoughts of the span of these careers and their general alignment to the 30 years of the Wexner Center. And suddenly I knew that Uh, these three artists at this time were the perfect fit. Uh, The idea of the monument, uh, a remembrance in service of what comes next, essentially, uh, is particularly present in here, especially germane to the Wexner Center in this moment. The consideration of remembrance as a catalytic device um, and as a primary point of connection among these three artists was important to me as well. All have made spaces that assemble some combination of materials, action, language, and infuse them with the resonance of memory, both collective and personal. Here, Anne Hamilton, Jenny Holzer, Maya is a recognition of this time, past, present, and future. It is a recognition of the ever-vibrant and salient ideas in their work. It is a recognition of this place, and it's a recognition of these immensely important artists. Please join me in welcoming to the Wexner Center, Wexner Center Director Johanna Burton in conversation with Anne Hamilton, Jenny Holzer, and Maya Lynn.
2: Welcome, and it's so wonderful to have everybody here. For those of you who haven't met me yet, I am uh, Johanna Burton. I'm the new director of the Wexner Center for the Art. I just passed month six. um, And I feel like as I was becoming um, the person that would want to lead an art center such as this one, I had a dream like this, where I got to sit on a stage with these three women. So here it is. (laughs) I also feel I should say that I might be hierarchically the most qualified to lead this discussion, but geographically the least. I have um, only been to Ohio to come to the Wexner Center for the Arts um, as a graduate student to see shows here. Um, But I feel really um, both warmly welcomed here and and at home. And so it's really wonderful to have an opportunity to have a conversation with the three of you. We're not going to talk only about Ohio, we're going to talk <laughs> about a lot of things. I should also say that very beautifully, these three artists have had trajectories and I think overlaps of ideas, but haven't been um, shown in the states together. We will talk about one instance that Anne has pointed out, um, where internationally their arts, ha- their their works have come together. And I think that's very fascinating. But I wanted to start with um, a question that's both very literal, and I also think. Um, very open-ended, and it was great because actually Jenny pushed back on this. Um, you know, I said, where, where are you from? And she said, no, ask where are you coming from? <laughs> Which I really liked. So maybe we can talk a little bit about not only your kind of geographic Um, connection to this place, but also what you're thinking about as artists at this moment. Mm -hmm. We have an installation, or we have a a series of um, slides, both of installations and individual works by these artists. They are not in any particular order, but are instead meant to kind of provide an ambient um, look, not only at the installation, but also at their works overall. So... Um, and I should also say we're going to have a conversation then open up to you. I'm sure you have lots of questions. So Anne, where are you coming from today?
3: Well, I'm the only one that actually lives here. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe anomalous in the sense that I decided to move back and that decision is really actually linked to the Wexner Center because it was the first exhibition where I was invited to make an installation in response to the architecture and my mom and dad and all their friends and they're sitting back there were my crew and I thought oh maybe a life in art is possible in Columbus, Ohio even though when I was in high school I said you know I'm leaving and maybe never coming back and and so you know, I think reflecting now at this point is thinking about how um, my practice is really made possible, been made possible in many ways by that support, but also that decision. Because I think in one's work, you you have to trust what you quite you can't quite name or you don't quite know. And I think there's been such amazing support here. That it has allowed me to um, maybe take risks that would have been more difficult if I had been in a different place, uh, and I, you know, and I think that um, with this particular exhibition, in terms of Jenny's question, where are you coming from, um, is to really uh, consistent with I think the history of my work, which is to try to make work that responds to where I am and what the conditions of that are and the conditions that can be made
2: for art. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about what people will see in the gallery and what you've chosen to show? And then we can sort of ground ground things a little bit in what sure. you've presented
3: so working with um, Nick and Hannah and Karen the team that were named in Michael's introduction I spent the last year working in the archives and in the collections that are here at OSU and we brought our portable scanners and our little uh, uh, staples um, wand scanners and it was a way to Uh, image the objects that we found but with this technique that um, really I think conveys tactility so the felt presence of the object comes through what touches the actual surface and so you know in some ways so much of my work has been um, out of town and has been made in response to other places and it was a chance to to uh, wander into behind the scenes in the geology museum and the medical sciences and the textile collection and the amazing things that are here and the way objects, I think, motivate us, our curiosity to learn more. So I really started there. And that's um, m- that constitutes many of the images you'll see in the galleries. I also started to think about the relationship between what an institution collects and those objects for study and scholarship and research and those kinds of objects that we actually live with. So the stone that's been sitting on your windowsill for 20 years and um, so the, the things you pick up here and there that may or may not have a specific memory with them, but they're objects that are alive um, and have a sense of aliveness and so, The combination of images is both from um, personal collections and institution. And they're there, and I hope everyone takes one, but also mails one to someone that you think will love it.
2: And Jenny, we've presented uh, both older and newer work, so kind of crossing your uh, career in a way, with, with some of the first work I saw as a young feminist, actually, that came out of the Whitney Independent Study Program. And I'm told that for both um, Maya and your work, we're presenting some of the largest iterations of these projects. Can you just talk a little bit about why you decided to pair the works that you did and and how it's working architecturally, which is really stunning? Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, although I pushed back on the question, I'm literally from southeastern Ohio and <laughs> would often be in the car between Lancaster and Athens in Gallipoli When I was on those many car trips, I would see Burma Shave signs, hmm. and my ambition through my youth and maybe into now was to be as good as Perma shave and as terse, <laughs> and that led me, um, plus a, a vicious reading list at the Whitney yeah. Independent Study Program, to write the series of one-liners, the truisms that appear in the gallery um, hereabouts. Um, I thought, since I'm coming back to Ohio, I would uh, present the first stuff I did mm-hmm. um, when I wasn't sure I was an artist but I did want to know what I believed. So I wrote uh, on many topics from multiple points of view to figure out what I thought and then to offer these to other people with the question with these opposing points of view, Mm -hmm. how do you govern? How do you get along? How do you even stay in the room with uh, people who think very different things? Right. Surprisingly, it seems on-topic now. Ouch.
2: (laughs) It does, indeed. Absolutely. And what about the more recent work that's just a couple of years old?
4: Yeah. um, What's here in addition to the old posters, the truisms and the inflammatory essays, are a number of benches with um, fragments of poetry by the wonderful Polish poet Anna Swear. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wrote on the siege of Warsaw. She was a young resistance fighter then and a volunteer nurse and what's a credit to her writing is those fragments seem as if they could be written about what uh, is going on in Syria and too many other places around the world.
2: Yeah, I mean so much of your work Um, points out the kind of um, relevance of these other moments to our own. Um, And I think it's very interesting then to think about the word here. When we say here, we also are are talking about time, not just space. So that's something maybe we can Mm. get to as well. And I should mention we're talking about the galleries, but there's a whole component, which we'll talk about in a moment, of work that, um, that gets outside of the museum and really enters the public sphere in different ways. So we'll, we'll talk about that as well. So Maya, where are you coming from? Oh, today, Athens, <laughs> Ohio, um, uh, Southeastern
5: Ohio, uh, really like Jenny. And um, where am I really coming from? Oh my God, that's a question like, where are you from, Athens, Ohio? Where are you really from? Well, my mom's from Shanghai and my dad's from Beijing. Um, I grew up probably with my brother, the Chinese family in Athens, and um, probably felt the displacement that my mother felt. My dad loved being down there, ceramicist, had the whole art department. It was great. Um, I grew up very informed by the landscape. And I think a lot of people aren't really aware if you're not from Ohio, just how beautiful southeastern Ohio is. They see, they say, they hear Ohio, they think flat industrial wasteland. Mm -hmm. Let's face it, they think Cleveland. Um, (laughs) And you try to tell people how hilly and wooded, that's the house I grew up in. Um, That's great timing. Just surrounded by woods, and then surrounded in time by, I grew up as the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, the Endangered Species mm-hmm. Act are all being formed. It's the 70s, Silent mm-hmm. Spring had happened, and then in response, people are really beginning to change things. Mm-hmm. And I grew up like in the parking lot of Kroger's, yes. or a p petitioning to ban um, steel traps or, or whale hunting and my parents were like where, where, what is this and, um, mm-hmm. and I think it was like just caring about the environment and I think yeah. I don't think I've ever not worried about the environment so mm. a lot of what I do as an artist is ground you in exactly the place you're in uh-huh. and to try to get you to see things mm. that you might not be seeing because they're kind of out of sight, out of mind sort of mm-hmm. a thing. So yeah. So that's sort of where I'm coming from.
2: That's great. Can you actually talk about the two pieces that are on view? Yeah, I mean,
5: here for me meant, again, and again, whenever I go into a place, mm-hmm. I will try to make you aware of the natural world. It's just sort of how
4: mm-hmm.
5: I am really focused and have been for a while. So you've got two different water, water-based pieces. The first one, the pins mm-hmm. are um, trace the entire watershed that goes from north to south through all of Ohio. Uh, Michael has one of the maps I found that shows how many fracking wells right. are under mm-hmm. the watershed which Mm -hmm. and it's very hard to get this information it's astonishing again i didn't want to illustrate that Mm -hmm. because there's a fine line between science museum mapping versus it's a drawing i do love sort of making these works that are in between sculpture and drawing um and so that's the the pin river of the watershed and then inside Again, something very, very uh, sort of a moment in time. It charts what NOAA targeted as the floodplain of the Ohio River. That's the Ohio River in its entirety after last year's rains, because with all the inundation of the floodwaters, um, with climate change, with the way in which the Army Corps rearranged a lot of these rivers, the flooding is Mm-hmm. Off the charts mm-hmm. with a lot of farming lands going all the way down through Mississippi. So it starts as the Ohio River from its very beginnings. Athens is in there, Columbus is in there, I think Gallipoli's is somewhere in there. And then as it hits the floor and you begin, it's called, you know, how does a river overflow its banks? Because it never starts, of course, yeah. at the top of the sources. It grows and grows and grows, and then all of a sudden it just breaks. And so the break, all of a sudden the river becomes a negative,
1: mm-hmm. and
5: then what you're charting mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. the floodplain. Mm-hmm. And so that piece, I kind of opened the paper last Saturday in the Times, yeah. took the entire mapping system, and I went, oh, my God, there's, there's my part. And so I've just been watching this, and I think it kind of mediates between what I do when I do large-scale
4: right.
5: outdoor works, of which the Wexner was the first piece, Groundswell in 1993, um, Forty tons of recycled glass um, poured into those empty spaces—what I call the unplanned spaces of your building—and so I kind of mediate between my inside and outside yeah. works.
2: Well, it's interesting. So I was going to segue and say the the piece that is outside, yeah. um, publicly visible, is one of the earliest, um, you know. Yes, pieces.
5: and I was asked to come in and do a show, and literally, um, I think the curator at so the time, Sarah Rogers. Right was aware of my smaller-scaled studio works, but nobody else was. And in a lot of ways, the groundswell piece becomes my first artwork Mm -hmm. I've ever made. (laughs) Because I kind of oddly came out of the gate with professors and colleagues saying, oh, you're not an artist, because I had done the Vietnam Memorial. And I was a little touchy about that, because you can be coming right out of art school and be called an artist. I was, in a way, not allowed to be an artist. And it took about an extra 15 years to almost two decades mm-hmm. for people to be able to recognize and see kind of my dual yeah. world between art and architecture and the mo- monuments, actually. It's a tripod. So yeah. the Wexner Center piece becomes so important for me because I'm beginning to really find my voice and it is a voice that sort of splits its time between the art and the architecture.
2: It's wonderful, too. I believe Sarah's here. Sarah, are you yeah. here, Sarah Rogers? I think she is. Um, there's a wonderful way, too, in which the Wexner, even though it has a short history, also has these histories that fold together. Yeah. And so she also wrote for you yep, for this. Absolutely. And that's, a, I think, which a wonderful thing. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about what you've each done outside of the museum. One thing I want to point out is this is an opportunity also for me to start building bridges in the community that Anne has really been helpful. So I'm... Really excited that we're partnering with the library here, um, right across the oval. Um, so that's where some of your work has landed, and, and in fact, it's the extension of what you see in the gallery. So perhaps you could talk about that, and then what's outside. Actually, you're the most dispersed in a way. Um, you've got Mershon. I'm the most work. <laughs> <laughs> I take the most. I need the most help. <laughs> so talk a little bit about the library and um, and the other works that are outside.
3: Sure. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, one of the things is that for those of us that are on campus and I teach at the university is that there's a a constant path back and forth between the library and the Wexner. And I think about the Wexner as like the house of of images and in some ways the library is the house of words, even though, you know, that's very simple. Not anymore with Jenny in the house. (laughs) (laughs) And and I... um, it always just feels like they're both really social spaces, Mm -hmm. and they're spaces where all these different disciplines cross, and where um, the conditions for a conversation can be made. And so... I also recognized very early that the, we were working closely with the curators in special collections who were extremely open and willing for us to go in and touch and be generalists looking around. Mm-hmm. And so it became a natural connection. And And to think about circulation and how yeah. things circulate. Because obviously, well, one of my favorite things about teaching at the university Besides the students, of course, who are here, you no, know, is is that I can go online and I can request a book and it will come to my office. And I think I have three hundred some books right now, checked out. And I've been told <laughs> if, if we all return our books, there is not enough room. But also, I think you know one of my favorite evenings is is also that like browsing in the library and that you're. You're walking up and down the open. The privilege of having access to open stacks mm-hmm. and to um, that, that thing that happens, that you're in there and you just for some reason are drawn to that book with a red spine and you open it up and the words you needed are there on that page. Right. And it's not anything that you can make happen, but you can only make the conditions to allow that finding mm-hmm. to occur. And so I think there's this um, life that happens in the library that's very close to my associational life sometimes in the galleries. And I wanted to connect that. So over time, so right now, part of the exhibition is open in the library in the first floor of the glass stacks where you see the books. And then when the exhibition at the Wexner closes, everything in the gallery will actually fill that glass book tower and continue its life of circulation. So just as you can request a book or a book moves from hand to hand and reader to reader, um, maybe just as we each are in different ways, um, an accumulation of what we have read in the way that has marked us, um, the images in the show will circulate. Um, Also, really importantly, and this is... um, Really relates to Jenny's work outside is that there are uh, two images that are exist in one scale in the galleries. There are scans of um, a white crow, and there's a scan of a barn owl that uh, is from the Museum of Biological Diversity that's over on West Campus. And there's something really haunting, of course, about these dead animals and the way they offer themselves up. And um, there is a sandpiper that is now installed quite large on the side of Mershan, Mm -hmm. thanks to the incredible work of Orange Barrel Media, and one that is downtown on High Street. So the day that these went up, also interestingly or sadly, the news came out. in the papers of the incredible loss of birds, 3 million almost is the count that's come out of Cornell. And so they hover as a presence, but also as a kind of absence in this public space. And I think that, um, that qual- that felt
2: quality is something that is shared, I, th- I believe, between our work. And it's interesting, we talked a lot about when you were putting these images up, how they could be mistaken for advertisements. Yeah. Um, and you chose to make a small marker of difference by keeping a white frame around them mm-hmm. instead of doing a full bleed as a kind of, um, a kind of hint or a, a sort of way in which they operate more like a photograph at large scale. Yeah. And Jenny, it's been really interesting, you know, your work, and we just saw images of um, a few examples of this, including the truck that we have um, driving around tonight. What does it mean to encounter work and not know if it's art because it's not being framed for a museum? Um, so we've got, and perhaps you can talk about it a little bit. We also have your work downtown, both mm-hmm. on um, tickers and on screens, um, and in the in the truck as well. Um, you've done this many times and in many cities. How did it? How does it feel doing it here? And and.
4: Um, First, I have to say I wanted to be an architect, but I didn't have the jam, so (laughs) it's interesting how life works out. I started working in the streets yeah. um, because it's good to be an anonymous artist, especially when you're young and you're not sure yeah. what you're doing and why. I find, found that quite liberating and um, mm-hmm. handy to mm-hmm. wander around and put things up and then skulk in the corners to see if anybody yeah. stopped, <laughs> yeah. to see if it meant anything to anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my education uh, then was people would write on the posters, write mm-hmm. back to me, mm-hmm. and so I had a hint about whether um, mm-hmm. yeah, I had anything to offer. Yeah. It is a relief now for me to um, go back to the street with these trucks that we have circulating around the country um, against gun violence. Yeah. Um these started anonymously. Now a few people know that they're mine, but so what? Um, if this stuff is interesting, it doesn't matter whether it's yeah. art or vermiculite. Yeah. You know.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'll never think about your work this Shame. day again after the
4: vermiculite. I like to be the one poisoning myself. I
2: love I'm it. <laughs> Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, and then uh, perhaps we can have you and the three of you, I do want to make sure you can ask each other questions, because it's so extraordinary to have you together, and I will say backstage, it was, it's it's like the best kind of blind date, where you have three people who genuinely are delighted to be together. Um, I mean, well, I'll leave it at that. metaphor doesn't need to <laughs> go on. It's fine. Um, but I did want to talk about scale because it's something that I think has come up really interestingly in this installation. I know, Anne, you've thought a lot about what it means to have smaller, intimate images that are, can be folded and, and distributed anonymously also, um, and then to encounter some of these images that are at a really large scale. Um, and as I mentioned, both Jenny and Maya's installations are some of the largest you've done. So can you just, without any... You know, particular aim in mind. Talk about scale and how it operates in this particular instance. Um, I I think it's really interesting. Uh, Me? Anybody? Sure.
4: You go. Um, Take the middle first. (laughs) Okay. Um, For works outside, I like. Ephemeral grandiosity.
2: Uh-huh.
4: So um, I will go to light projections because they're not really there. And even though they're quite big and sometimes uh-huh. the subject's dire and right. awful, uh, at least they are soft, gentle light um, providing some sort of surcease. Uh-huh. And then I think the artwork or whatever it is can be as large as the problems are. Right. That's the permission I mm-hmm. give myself there. Mm-hmm. Here, um, I like the weird, pointy spaces, mm-hmm. and I thought we shouldn't pretend they aren't weird and pointy. So I put posters on everything yeah. to highlight their very pointedness.
2: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Oh. Scale. I
4: always think I'm sort of an Mm
5: anti-monumentalist because I do kind of work at times at a very large scale. Like I think Mm -hmm. Storm King is 11 acres, but uh, the piece in New Zealand the same way. But I always feel like as you enter and approach them, you get lost in them at a very personal level. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, it's sort of like is a hill monumental, by the time you're starting to walk up the lilt, of a hill, you're connecting to it, partly because you're connecting to landscape and the earth in a way mm-hmm. that it's a breathing mm-hmm. substance and you can then be a part of it yeah. in an odd way. Yeah. So I would say that there is something oddly intimate no matter how large yeah. the scale is that I work with. And that's just sort of how, it, how they tend to work.
2: Um, and it's true. I mean, the, the pin piece. Um, it's. It was interesting watching it go up. It took ten days, four people, <laughs> nonstop, and people don't see it. Yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Snag on it sometimes. The yeah. light pushes through it. You can't focus your eyes. You can't focus your eyes. Um, um, and it, it. there's something really interesting about that. I find yeah. myself wanting to tell people um, things like. How many days, and that there are eighty-eight thousand pins, and which more than eighty-eight <laughs> thousand right. pins, but but it is ephemeral in this yeah. way, um, and, 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 and the marbles and too,
5: and the marbles definitely. God, can't recommend you do it because it's a little too new, <laughs> up, but walking the yeah. river is, again, part of the meditative path of it. Um, right. We can talk about if we allow people to walk the river at times, because it's barely wide enough, and you could, and that would be mm. sort of the mm-hmm. be interesting, because then you're actually putting yourself into the flow, which would be kind of nice. But yeah, I kind of, mm. these are smaller pieces in that sense because of the yeah. large scale of working. And I love, to me, I love the intimacy of the interior works, of the museum-based yeah. works.
3: I was also thinking, you know, relative to that, you're talking about walking in the landscape. And yeah. so you you bring it, it into your body at the pace right. of your body. Whereas I think in so many spaces where, like, the scale we inhabit is, is so enormous that we don't feel like an embodied relationship to it. Right. And so the work that it, it's like you know it up through your feet Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. and that that's a, a kind of pace of thinking also as it, as it comes in through your body. So.
5: Cause, yeah, because for me it's also none of these pieces are objects right. inserted into the landscape. And so it's literally yeah. you are connecting people back to the earth itself yeah. Yeah. and probably the hills of southeastern Ohio, to be quite honest, mm-hmm. um, and the clay. So that's sort of where I'm kind of coming from. Mm-hmm. I mean, just
3: s- relative to scale, it, scale yeah. I really, um, I have to say, I really wrestled with the building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's, and um, the way that it obviously is a is a consequence of these system of intersecting grids and the scale of those. And r- really in the studio, we spent a couple months trying to think about how the scale of these images might meet that Mm -hmm. and how it might actually insert into it. And and I came to feel that, in fact, that the architecture really needed, I needed to allow it to be around me rather than to touch it. And that it had less to do with, it's self-referential in its Mm -hmm. system, but it's not necessarily a reference to the scale of the body. Mm-hmm. Even though it holds the body, and so the decision to like print the images to make them horizontal, so that you address them um, the way like a book, which your body knows very well, is to insert a, make them intimate. And so I wanted to, in the scale of the architecture, insert a kind of intimacy mm-hmm. into that, and that and that had a lot to do with then how we literally sized the
4: objects. Yeah. Did you think about not sticking the marbles to the floor? Um, Speaking of bodies and what mm-hmm. might happen. A little dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I
5: always wonder about um, the visibility mm-hmm. of them because uh-huh. especially with the t- transition to the green mo- mm-hmm. stone, you couldn't see it. I, we literally spent like a whole night lighting because it was just a little, yeah. Yeah, they're marbles, it's like they do yeah. slip. Um, but I think, And again, this is this weird fine line between drawing, art, mapping. And when have I become too much of a cartographer? Mm -hmm. Or when could the work end up, oh, it belongs in a science museum. So I'm always trying to mediate between Mm -hmm. sort of the scientific facts, which I'm in love with, Mm
2: -hmm. and
5: then translating them and back and forth with drawing. For the Ohio flood, it was just so specific. And I almost felt like I had done earlier models that were like the flood took over the whole gallery, which I think on a formal way would have been very, you know, a little bit, it would fit the space more. But I was just, we are in such dire straits with where we are with climate change. And it, it's almost biblical. You've got the forest fires in the West. You've got the flooding in the whole Midwest, you've got insects, just swarms of insects. And so I I really wanted to account for that. It's sort of like, at which point I knew the piece would be a little bit unusual because it would sort of waffle its way through the columns, Mm. which then I started to really like. But um, Mm -hmm. no, I've I've actually never thought of the loose marbles, (laughs) but I did, when I saw the outside space, of Mm -hmm. the right outside the cafeteria in 1993 I just, I knew I could finally work with my broken glass Mm -hmm. because you can't use the broken car glass even though it's tempered if people could access it Mm -hmm. and so I was given an opportunity to, I, I just said I know exactly what I need to do here and so that piece is in a weird way, you can look at it but you can't you can't get into it, which is the only way to make Mm. it safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wondered about the marbles as a hazard given the subject. Well, tonight, I think the idea is when when it's more crowded, people are watching. The
4: hazard could come back. Yes.
2: Something I love about Groundswell too is there are parts of it that aren't public. There's a little part by my office. There's a private, Uh, the the most
5: Japanese in a way. (laughs) Because that one is also about East meets West, and bringing a merger of sort of an almost zen garden, sand garden, Mm -hmm. to southeastern Ohio, Mm -hmm. but add to that another huge influence on me, the the Serpent mounds, the mounds from the Hopewell and Adena tribes. Mm -hmm. So again, pulling back into 1,000 years A.D., Mm -hmm. back to works that are all over this part of the country yeah. that ha- people aren't really aware of, and the fact that I think I think the, sur- the Moundsville was redone. They literally raked it down, put army barracks there, and then recreated Moundsville. It's like, how could you think of yeah. doing that to these amazing ancient cultures?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so, yeah. It's interesting. It segues into something that um, we, when we talked briefly about what we would talk about, um, you've all worked for roughly three decades, and it's um, over that time. <laughs> 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 I mean, right. no. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just thinking You're that so kind. we've been, all right, I'm trying to make a parallel with the wax ish um but but obviously you've all worked in various ways very differently with ideas of kind of issue based or issue um reactive work and I think Maya you were just talking about the ways in which you respond to the world as it changes both in terms of things that seem to just get worse and in terms of things that come back in the way that you're talking about Mm -hmm. as artists could you talk a little bit about what it's been like to to continue to have a a kind of career that you can map, but also one that is responsive to the world. And um, what are the pleasures and challenges of that today? Come on, Anne. I mean, I I have so many questions that emerge
3: even just from listening because I'm thinking about how do you find the... Um, voice or the form of the dress for the place that you find yourself. Yeah. Where we find ourselves at this moment culturally, um, as well as each of us in our practice. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm thinking, I was thinking back to partly the project I did in Venice, which followed the project that Jenny had done in the same building in the Venice Biennial and how um, you know, I had a lo- a question about like, can abstraction mm-hmm. actually be a form for addressing, um, a very dire political situation we find ourselves, or cultural situation, yeah. and what can abstraction do, versus, um, you know, what can a literal image do, right. and, and what is the role of language? Those are all huge questions that I think haunt the practice from the beginning. And so I think it's always, you know, it's always this question about what making what is making and what form does it need to take now to address where we find ourselves and so that in and of itself is always shifting the mm-hmm. practice mm-hmm. even though we come with our habits and the forms in which we've learned to work or love to work mm-hmm. but still it's always being shaped or tempered by the condition and the condition you hope to make um or you hope I think in my case, I think a lot about how is the work part of making a condition that allows something to happen, Mm -hmm. and what kind of sociability does that invite?
4: I found enough sadness and misery and kindness in Ohio to make me inclined to look at hard things. um, But underneath it all optimistic enough to try um, without always being convinced that what I was doing was of any use at all. um, I'd go from the inscrutable mystical to agitprop and Mm -hmm. hope that Mm -hmm. some of those Mm -hmm. things might be of utility and might have you all, good smart people, do what's right, especially now.
5: And I think for me, it's kind of funny. I I always say that, like, the artworks are, though nature and environment is a subject, I then split myself back Mm -hmm. to what I call the last memorial, which is I I do believe the memorials are functional, but their function is much more conceptual. So it's called What is Missing, and it's focused on Mm -hmm. linking... um, climate change Mm -hmm. with species loss. Mm -hmm. And um, so, like, yeah, the headline with the 2.9 billion Billion, birds. 30% of the birds in the U.S. and Canada have disappeared since the 1970s. So I'm, like, emailing my staff going, we're posting it to Missing's Facebook. because." So I've chosen that the memorials end up becoming much more... um, political and advocate-oriented, mm-hmm. at which point um, mm-hmm. I've always wanted the artworks to be a little bit more, I'm going to put it out there, right. but I'm not going to tell you what to do. Whereas, you know, right now we're building up for a kind of a big launch of what is missing next year, which we, we're collecting an ecological history of the planet, sort of the map of the past, which is as many Hmm. memories and ecological points we can get. Map of the present will be pulse of the planet. So it'll take you around and show you sort of in a curated fashion what's going on, what needs help. And then future is what it's really about. I'm going to show you with five simple maps. This is how we could both balance our needs with the needs of the planet. And it will allow you to dial it Hmm. so you can change your agricultural footprint. And that's going to absorb X amount of emissions and save this much habitat so so i am ex- it's almost like i've got this like 501c3 ngo mindset and and so i'll make art out of missing but i'm not in a hurry to necessarily make it art because the monument the memorial as a medium for me allows me to be extremely we've got to do something, and we've got to do this, and here are things you can do individually, right. and these are things you can do, um, you know, uh, help vote. You know, It's very mm-hmm. prescriptive, mm-hmm. which I try to be much less so
2: mm-hmm.
5: for me and my art. I still wanted the art to kind of exist on a more um, mute level, if yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah,
2: no, absolutely. So can you talk about the one instance where actually your work does or did coexist? I know, and you're the one who It does pointed this out. coexist. Where does it? In Sweden, where the one moment where you were all shown together. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah. So there's
3: this amazing place in southern Sweden called Vanus, and it's about an hour and a half from Copenhagen. And a family um, who lives on an estate. I mean, you know, in Sweden, they have kings and queens and counts and <laughs> castles, and, and um, they have really. Um, taken the inheritance and the stewardship of that property to devote it both to sustainable agricultural practices um, and to art. And they're the generation that has opened up the forests, which have been both a resource and a reserve, and invited artists to come work there. And So um, I, maybe I was the first. I think I was the first, yeah. So I was invited um, to work in a five-story stone barn that had been kind of the bank for the property in the sense that it was where the grain was stored. And I didn't, I arrived, I didn't leave for six weeks. I was enfolded in the um, systems and the economies and the family of that place. And... Uh, it's a, it's very, it's open to the public, it's very adventuresome, but it's a, it's a, one of those kinds of programs that allow artists to do things that you can't do in another mm-hmm. situation. They, it's not the kind of work that it could exist in a museum. Right. It's very um, specific to what is there, and I know Jenny worked in the stone walls, and Maya has this <laughs> <laughs> incredible piece that the cows live on. And, um, and, and, you know, I think that work Um, at least speaking for myself, I could say that the opportunity to have an entire architecture to respond to really helped me grow the vocabulary of my work and the support also, um, you know, of living in a place where there's the carpenter and the welder and um, you're cooking together every night with the team who makes the economy of that land work. So um, it was an incredibly moving experience and maybe... Um, also it's important to know it's one of the few pieces I've made that was temporary that in fact Mm -hmm. they have continued to care for and have kept
2: are yours both also still yeah yeah, 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 I I need to go I need to go visit Yeah. yeah and I got a lasting treasure
4: from seeing your piece because it moved. And uh, ever since seeing that and then Rebecca Horn's work, I mm-hmm. wanted things to move. And huh. decades later, oh, finally, nice. I'm a robo queen, so I thank you. <laughs>
2: about <this.
5: laughs>
4: and about uh, the stone wall and about yeah. not being grandiose. Um, yeah probably every hundred and fiftieth stone we carved a little bit of text in so when you would walk the perimeter of the place and the wall just once in a while you would see a little Mm -hmm. something and now that the moss has uh, taken over it's a very little something so uh, it makes one a little attendant and Jenny, can you terribly sensitive, That's scary thing. Can you talk about
3: what it was like for you to also carve um, or select the tech, the words to write for um, these very, very, very old stone walls? You know, like it, they're the perimeter walls on this property that have different scales as you go around. But I was also thinking to mark those. How um, have you I, thought about that?
4: I tried not to be destructive because the wall was lovely and yeah. sufficient unto itself. I mm-hmm. attempted to do just enough that you would appreciate the wall and have a passing thought, yeah. but it would have been grotesque to make it utterly tattooed nose mm-hmm. to tail mm-hmm. just a little bit and then... Um, uh, nature healed um, and the awkwardness of mine, and I tried not to pick my worst text <laughs> <laughs> and then, for me, um, because I, I was the last
5: and i couldn 't figure out what to do, and I, I knew I, wa- I kind of was looking for a little bit more of an expanse and um, and I just asked marika just uh, do you have any extra?" Hmm. space, and do you have any extra fill? Mm-hmm. Uh, earth, like dirt lying around. And she started laughing, because they had just built this state-of-the-art organic dairy. <laughs> and they, you know, Sweden's full of rocks. It, it's just, we turned this one bend, and there was a mountain Of earth and dirt and rocks that they were going to have to cart out of there. So it became this perfect convergence. Um, The only hitch being everybody was worried that the cows might be upset. (laughs) So there was a big conference, and all the experts, um, the people that ran the dairy side of the family, had to get together, and then they all decided the cows wouldn't be upset with it, and um, so then I could build the piece, and most of the time, it's there for the cows. I think there was a picture with, and the cows kind of like being above other cows, so they kind of climb, <laughs> so it's kind of perfect Uber pecking fell. order, and um, huh. And it's very egalitarian because you can have many cows walking it at one time. And then when the cows are in the barns for Mm -hmm. the winter, then if you wear special boots, because again, they're very, very watchful for... Um, any transfer of biota from somewhere else to here, Mm -hmm. then you're allowed to go and experience it. But that's actually, it is sort of a piece that we made for the cows, actually. And you get to look (laughs) at it from far out. But Mm -hmm. it was an interesting piece because again, I like having a little more elbow room when Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. installing out of doors. And um, and what's beautiful about your work and Yours, they're so different. And everyone at Vaughness, it's like you find a piece, you wander, you never have this feeling that it's like so many art, it's like, it's really, it's magical. And you're literally exploring and finding works of art in the woods or in the meadow or in a barn. And it's just an amazing experience. I had never been to um, anything like it before, and mm-hmm. it, it's a very special place. So That's I think it's kind of wild that we're all there. That mm-hmm. probably—I don't know. When did you put your piece in? What, mm, I don't. It was a long yeah, time yeah, ago. Yeah, I don't remember. It's like maybe two
3: thousand three. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure
5: because I think we came in like in mm-hmm. one. I bet we were there all in the same decade because you had just finished the wall. So it was a little fresh when I got there, and then a little raw. It, it, it grew in beautifully, and then, so I think, I bet you we were all within a five, eight years, I think we were pretty close to one another in time.
3: I think it's, and sometimes there's different situations, and they just really spoil you as an artist in terms of yeah. um, the condition, the challenge that you're given. Right. Uh, that really um, pushes you. And I'm like, oh, how am I ever supposed to go back to a museum
2: after this? You're talking about what just happened here, right? (laughs) 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 You could never work again. So before we open this up, because I'm sure folks have all kinds of questions and we want to leave a few minutes for that. I actually was, this is a perfect segue to say, There's a, and and I really have to commend Michael and his team for how they, you know, they put together a very, um, a sort of gentle argument around the idea of of place making and placeness and and the idea of being here and, and, um, but didn't force you all into sort of approximating each other or, or even having something that immediately binds you. And yet when you experience the show, there is a lot, a kind of um, intuitive logic to it. And I, I wondered if you had questions for each other now that we're sitting here that you've been dying to ask or anything that, you, um, that you'd want to pull out that I haven't uh, in terms of the show. Because it is, a, it is a really interesting congruence of the three of you. Mm-hmm. And it, it goes beyond the fact that you're from Ohio, but it does land <laughs> there too.
4: I usually like doing that at three a, three
2: a.m. by email. So okay. <laughs> this is too public for okay. me. Okay, all right, yeah, so. fair, fair <laughs> enough. We're, we're there, and I know you've been excited.
3: I don't know, I don't know. I just think that one of the things is about the title of the show here. Always, in, you know, includes the word there. <laughs> so because here means that there's a there somewhere. And, and I was thinking about, when I was thinking about the relation between some of the works or our practices, really, uh, I was thinking about how, you know, the work of making in part is to make visible something that's there, mm-hmm. but not here uh-huh. yet. And to bring that, that far away into something that can be Know, experienced, mm-hmm. or, or become visible. Yeah. And, I, I, and that's something that I think links the practices in, in different ways. And so, um, you know, it wasn't that I could point to exactly yeah. I mean, do the diagram chart, uh, but I do think it runs through the work, the way that the maps make visible
5: mm-hmm.
3: um, something, mm-hmm. the way the words put into light, into presence, something that's difficult for us to see or say or face and um, you know that that's actually the large project of making
2: right
3: Um, so the here I was saying about the here and there
2: Um, Maya do you have anything
3: to
5: add I I think what I think is kind of the process of hands-on and making I mean from wallpaper The touching of it to what your process always been about that and even though like they're pins and marbles it's like I've always thought of them as women's work it's beading and sewing okay Mm -hmm. bad confession I sewed a lot of my clothes when I was in high school Um, not to good effect Mm -hmm. but I did and I wore them Um, but there is something about the process of the hands on and the intimacy with much of what we're working on Um, I don't know I, I just think there's a there was a nice, I loved coming in and seeing your sh- rooms sort of forming and then yeah. you were folding and it, it was beautiful. There's a lot of paper and there's a lot of
3: repetition. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, a lot of, there's a lot of material in the projects, but it also yeah. empties out and becomes very
2: Calm. minimal. Yeah, really. I agree, yeah. and there was a lot of labor. I and can say okay, thank a, you. Much
4: terrific. better than art fair booths. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yes. <laughs> well, it's been really terrific hearing you all speak. Would it be okay to see if some folks have questions that they might want to ask? Sure. Anybody want to? There's a question. Come on down. I think, are we asking people, Alana, to come down to the mic?
4: Yeah, and dim the lights so we can see people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's been
2: a little interrogation-y. Uh, <laughs> Hi. I think this is a simple question with a difficult, maybe complicated answer, but... I am a maker as well, and am working on something now that I'm not sure how to do. So I am wondering, how have you dealt with fear when you have a thing in your head and you want to produce it, but you don't know how? Um, like, How have you coped with that and dealt mm. with that?
3: Mm-hmm.
4: That's kind of constant. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And it's great that you're fearful because it means you're sincere. So there's absolute wonderful prospects for you.
2: Mm -hmm.
5: Yeah. Fear fear can be an incredible motivator. Mm -hmm. And it also keeps you very um, on your toes. It keeps you very awake. And I think... I don't think I'm ever not fearful mm-hmm. and of of something I'm going to do before I do it but the curiosity of wanting to do it is so much better <laughs> that it's you just want to see it and I think the trusting is a lot of what we do as artists is a constant exploration and if you think about it that way that you're going to be learning from it and and to try not to think of it as like an Kind of an always an end result in a weird way that this is all a process and there is a curiosity that you just have to see something. Is it possible we could dim those lights? Yeah, that's really because it's really hard (laughs) to like look out
3: and talk and just I just want to yeah add to that about um trust that I think for me um I really trust the process and then. I know that I've, I'm kind of paying attention with each, the immediacy of the steps that I'm in, that it, I may end up in a very different place than I think I'm going, but that if I trust the process, you know, I will get there. And I think that that helps um, put the fear in a place that at least it's not paralyzing. Yeah,
4: failure is fascinating. You will learn all (laughs) kinds of things. Thank you very much. You're You're
1: welcome. Thank you all so much. It's been like a super bowl of art. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My question is, and it was two parts, but you kind of answered the last part where I think you
2: started talking about the aesthetics of your work as to where something such like a big topic, whether it's political or environmental, doesn't just become propaganda, but actually there's this, there's this aesthetic part that I, that I really enjoyed the discussion. My question would be now, there's this discussion of monument and memorial, and sometimes I often think about that as something that's happened in the past, and yet everything that you're addressing seems to be of the present uh, or the future. Uh, so maybe you can give me your definitions of monument and, and versus memorial, or are they the same, or are they different, how do you differentiate?
5: I mean, it's a really good I'll, question. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll start out by saying that I've always felt my memorials are anti-monumental. That being said, um, I have a belief that these pieces that I've focused on, specifically the memorials, um, all they're doing is trying to get us to accurately remember an account for history. My belief is that if we can accurately remember our past, It's gonna teach us to lead it, it's gonna lead us to a different future. That I think um, no history is completely objective, but if I can present the facts in a way, I'm asking you to learn, look at this history, and come away with a different thought. But you've gotta do it, you've gotta be the one to come away with your own conclusions. And sort of that's where I'm coming from Mm -hmm. with it, that I don't believe memorials are about the past. They're really to help us to a different future.
4: And I would think attaching the appropriate reality, uh, the appropriate uh, motion to reality might be helpful to get us to the future in some kind of decent shape. Mm
3: I mean, in some ways, I wonder if all acts of making aren't acts of memorialization, you know? And I think the thing about the monument is that it's fixed. And I, you know, I think the work is to keep things in motion.
5: Thank you so much.
2: Yeah. Please step up. James, is this, hello?
5: Um... So I'm interested in the art of ephemera, the ephemerality of art, like the was, the is, and the won't be. Um, For anonymous art especially, uh, what advice do you have for someone about contributing to a public space especially and creating a new kind of creating art out of that public space?
3: I'm not quite sure exactly. I I don't think I can give you a specific answer, but I think to be thinking about public space, and to I think right now we have a huge question about what is civic space and mm-hmm. where and how do we gather, you know, with and across our differences, and and what is the nature, what makes that. An, Architecturally, but um, really, what are the processes for us to interact? So when I think when I hear your question, I hear this question about working in what are the forms maybe for working in public space? Is that partly what I you're asking?
5: So. I, I guess it's like advice about where you can, what you found in your experiences with working with public space and things
3: like that. Um,
4: Occupy it. (laughs) (laughs) Create civility in civic space now would be a miracle. (laughs) Please make it
1: fast.
4: Yeah, be engaged, be involved,
5: I believe. Um, I mean, not even just as artists. We have to be citizens right now. We have to not wait for someone else to fix things. I mean, for me, it's I've focused on climate change. It's just uh, there's a book out, The Uninhabitable Earth. We have thirty years to turn it this around. If we don't, it's just going to be beyond disaster. So I would say as artists be involved, be engaged, but as people be involved and be engaged, we cannot, we can't expect someone else to do it. We have to own this and we have to be kind of a part of the solutions. Mm-hmm. Wherever you're coming from, and I, I kind of firmly believe that. Thank
0: you. I just want to thank you. I feel like I've gone to heaven.
4: <laughs> <laughs> what a <weird> one. <laughs>
0: I'm from Ohio, and when I was younger, I left because I didn't think I could exist, my imagination. And about 30 years ago, I came back because I inherited land, and my ancestors, white, settled Ohio and plowed up earthworks. They also uh, brought about industrial agriculture. Now where I live now, it's gone back to Mother Nature, more or less, although I have to have help from the government with, uh, you know, um, CRP and um, something called CREP, which was wonderful because it's you could, you get paid to save land around water, and I had some bottom land. Now, I have a brother and a sister, and some of their land joined my little farm. And I want them all because we've got to stop the way we farm. Mm -hmm. And we've got to let the oak trees grow. Mm -hmm. And everything else. How can I get you three to help me?
5: I mean, I think one of the things right now, agriculture and reforming agriculture, um, the nature-based solutions, which is reforming our ranching, dairy, agriculture, Mm -hmm. weak and restoring our forests, that's 50% of all emissions. Mm -hmm. So who doesn't like a bargain? You can save two birds with one tree. If we focus on, we can't just, we not only have to reduce our carbon footprint, we have to suck the carbon out of the air, Mm -hmm. photosynthesis. Mm -hmm. And you're living in some of the richest soil around Mm -hmm. and, you know, just converting farming back to um, no-till organics. You are making a huge boon and then buying and supporting producers that are growing organic. And again, very important, no-till. The minute we till boom, out goes the soil. So Mm -hmm. you can convert your soils to being a carbon sink rather than a carbon release. And despite what might be happening at the executive level, cities, states, counties are moving and making headway. And you just, uh, kudos to you for doing it. Definitely convince your brother and sister um, it's a huge, huge potential to 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 take carbon out of the atmosphere.
3: You know, there's an amazing soil scientist here at OSU, Ratan Lal. Yes, he's great.
5: Mm-hmm. Are you Sorry. here?
3: Maybe he's here. <laughs> and it, you know, and I think that one of the things that um, I think he brought up recently is in a talk was, you know, if there's a Clean Air Act, why is there not a Clean Soil Act? because the dirt which made us
5: can save us. <laughs> yes, yeah. right. and, and there's a wonderful book out called The Soil Will Save Us, which I can't remember the author, but it's a very great book to share, to read, to share, because it really focuses in on uh, the nature-based solutions.
2: So I think we have time for one more question. I feel like I saw someone. Thanks. Uh, you all are really amazing and inspiring. Um, so the question is, um, uh, when you are entering spaces or collaborating in spaces where um, you're not sharing a shared cultural background, what are some of, of your um, of ways ways you do that?
3: You mean, like how, like when we start something and we're working in a culture that's not the one we grew up in, like how do we place ourselves? Is that... All those objects, just... Yeah, yeah. Is that part of... Yeah. I mean, we have obviously very different processes and practices, but, you know, I think for me, when I visit a place and I might not speak the language and have no experience in that country... I really do exactly what Maya talked about, walking. I walk, I talk to people, I try to feel, you know, it's like you're just trying to breathe where you are and then it's your curiosity that then connects you to all sorts of people you wouldn't meet otherwise. And what I love, and I feel so um, really spoiled in many ways by the opportunities I've had because of the work, the work puts me in the world in a way, and because um, I'm trying to understand a place, it puts me in contact with people I, and they and gives me the opportunity to work with people I wouldn't work with otherwise. And everywhere I've worked, I have found tremendous generosity and incredible um, help. Um, and so, you know, it's really about listening. It's not, it's like, I don't ever come with, like, oh, I have an idea. I, I don't, I, I usually have any ideas. It's more that you place yourself so that there can be some form of exchange. And so the, the visit is the listening.
4: Yeah. Hmm. So honor the particular that's right there. Um, notice it. Um, hunt for and, as best you can, present the universal because that's encouraging and reassuring, and don't be a jerk. (laughs) Um, A couple couple things. If I'm doing an outdoor
5: work, um, I try not to bring any ideas with me, and yet at the same time, sometimes I'm looking at very large sites, Mm -hmm. so I do ask for topographic maps because sometimes I I have my staff build up a topographic topography map because it's almost impossible to walk a a 30, 40-acre site without some hint of what you're looking at. But other than that, you try not to have a preconceived idea. And then I walk the site. Then I go home. Uh, I was always reticent to ever agree to any deadlines because my great fear is, well, then what if I'm coming up with an idea because I said I'd come up with an idea by a certain date, which makes me very, very nervous. Um, so instead, um, there's been a real trust between someone who's bringing me in and knowing that mm-hmm. I need a little bit of time. And some things click right away, and other times it takes. It can take a long process. And, um, and I, I value that. I value that idea that it's going to come find me when it's ready. How's that? Um, a little bit, whatever. Um, but it generally shows up, though, albeit... I think Storm, Storm King took eight years. Mm-hmm. Sorry. And another site, I think we had been in dialogue for a little bit longer than that, and I finally figured something mm-hmm. out. But I, I real, I'm worried that if I had a deadline, I might, I might mm-hmm. just choose something that isn't quite mm-hmm. the right thing for that spot.
2: Well, thank you all for coming. Um, We do have the galleries open, so please, if you haven't seen the show, spend some time, and thank you.
0: That was Anne Hamilton, Jenny Holzer, and Maya Lin in conversation with Wexner Center Director Johanna Burton. For more information about our exhibitions and all things WEX, go to wexarts.org.
3: I'm Melissa Starker for the Wexner Center for the Arts. Thanks for listening.